I believe everyone has a story to share. I'm on a journey to discover the magic inside each person's story. Each week, I will introduce you to guests where I will dig deep and uncover the beautiful miracles from life and experiences to inspire and encourage you to live life to the fullest. My goal is to give each guest a platform to share their lives with the world in hopes that someone will be inspired to take action and live life with passion and purpose. Welcome to the Uncover Your Magic podcast with me, Ashley Goner. Are you ready? Here we go. Hello and welcome back to Uncover Your Magic. Up until this episode, I can look back and see my growth and expansion in the past two years just by listening to each episode and what I have learned from each guest and where I was mentally and spiritually to absorb their messages and tools and their ideas and concepts. It has been a beautiful journey of self-discovery, that is for sure. This podcast is like a book, each episode a chapter, especially when I go back and listen to my questions and the conversations I have had in the past. You know how I feel when I receive a yes from a guest that is on my dream list. It feels somewhat unreal that I get the chance to sit with one of my biggest teachers for an hour and ask the questions I know not only I want to know, but I want you to know as well. Well, today's guest is that for me. Finding my guest today, the Aaron Apke, was a synchronistic moment to say the least. I was on YouTube looking at some video and saw a video right after it that said the law of one. And I thought, hmm, that sounds interesting. And that is where it all began. The rabbit hole I went on. Aaron teaches from the book, The Law of One and The Course in Miracles. I had never heard of The Law of One, but had studied The Course in Miracles for the past like 25 years or so and knew those teachings quite well. Once you listen to Aaron, you will be hooked. Well, I know I am. He is for sure here to be a teacher. Just the way he speaks is incredible. His story of how he got to today will fascinate you. I always love to do my deep dive on my guests before we have our interview. And I must say, there is something with Aaron that resonates to my soul. I feel like I must be ready for this because I can't get enough. In fact, I'm kind of obsessed, I must admit. All I know is if you are listening to this, you are meant to meet Aaron, and you will see why after you listen to him and his amazing message. Before we get started, don't forget to sign up for my five-day Kiss Your Limiting Beliefs Goodbye Challenge, and sign up for my monthly free masterclass with Maddie Sparkles, who is going to teach about connecting to our angels and so much more of her magical wisdom. Both of those links will be in the show notes. And as always, you can get on the waiting list for both my Raising Confidence course for teens and the Magic Path for Adults and Parents by going to my website at ashleygonner.com or just email me at ashleygonner at gmail.com and I can send you all the information. We are all here to learn and I cannot wait to see you in my classes, in my free classes, anything, just connect with me. 
we are all here to grow and expand in this reality. And once you meet Aaron, you will know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I know you will come out of this interview with Aaron, a new expanded human, and will want to go even further along Aaron's work and all of his material because it is going to take you places you never knew were possible or could even fathom. Let me tell you a little bit about Aaron before I bring him on. Aaron Apke was born and raised as a pastor's son in the Silicon Valley of California. He desired to work in church ministry like his father and went to college at Oral Roberts University in Tulsa, Oklahoma, graduating with a bachelor's degree in music and theology. He spent one year working as a full-time worship pastor at a church in San Jose until eventually, at 23, he felt called to leave his religion and pursue a deeper and more authentic spirituality. At 27 years old, Aaron had a dramatic spiritual awakening that changed the course of his life. He was working as a signed fitness model in San Francisco and competing at the national level in men's bodybuilding at the time, and completely walked out of his former life to dedicate his life to seeking how to return to that state of self-realization permanently. Aaron's passion is teaching unity consciousness and spiritual awakening with the world, and he does so today via YouTube, social media, masterclasses, and workshops, primarily teaching through texts such as A Course in Miracles and The Law of One. Aaron believes that unity consciousness and freedom from the ego is the next evolutionary leap for mankind and is available for anyone who truly desires it. As you can tell, I really am excited for this interview, so let's get this party started. So without further ado, please welcome Aaron Apke to the show. Welcome, Aaron. Hey, Ashley. Thanks so much for having me on today. Excited oh, to chat with you. Thank you. I'm so excited. I said in the intro that I've met a new teacher. You are my new teacher right now. And when I find something that resonates with me, I just go all in <laughs> and I'm sending it to my friends, my clients. You know, I just think, oh my gosh, Aaron, like this is amazing. And I studied the Course in Miracles for probably the last 25 years. I really love oh, that. Very cool. But I've never heard of the law of one. So I'm listening to your videos on YouTube. It's all resonating with me. I'm really getting it. And now my life in what, a month that I've probably learned about you, my life, everything about my life is different. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Love to like hear that. Everything, everything I look at. I mean, I've always been into spiritual development and I'm in a spiritual development right now group that he channels Joshua. And I've learned, you know, we talking about, like you talk about the healing, like the science of healing with the neuro you know that, and I always talk mm -hmm. about limiting beliefs and, and it's all inside of me. And so I'm really going that the last two years for me with that has really opened my eyes to my relationships with my husband, to my kids. All that is so beautiful and so neutral. Mm -hmm. Okay. So now what I thought would be great to start with, because I don't know how many people understand where you began, how this whole Aaron Apke came at what? 32, you're almost 33, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Next Friday. Yeah, I, I, I heard that. So go down, because like, your background is so fascinating, because, you know, when people think of the way you grow up and you keep, you know, people don't listen to their inner voice or 
they just keep going on the same path as they were raised and just, well, this is what I normally do, or this is what's, you know, I'm just not going to do anything different. I'm not going to veer off into this on this road, even though my intuition is telling me to, to veer off into that road. Right. But you mm-hmm. did. So take me where you want. Cause people that I know, I mean, you're, you're new to me. I know you're not new to the world, but <laughs> I want people to understand where you came from and why this is so amazing. Yeah. Well, I definitely can understand why people don't make that leap of faith because it is, there's a lot you can stand to lose. You know, if you right. grew up in a religion or a, a cult of some kind, it's just this, the sheer, you know, anxiety of losing everything and everyone in your life. And I, I struggled with that for many years in that questioning period of like, okay, I, I know I'm having some real problems with my religion now, but I don't have the courage to come out with that and risk losing everything. So I grew up as a pastor's kid, a uh, evangelical pastor's kid in the Silicon Valley, the Bay Area of California. And I wanted to be a pastor like my dad my whole life. I was a really sincere, devout Christian from the time I can remember, like all I cared about was God and wanting to know God. And so, you know, I, I went to a Christian uh, high school, Christian college, university, got my degree in, in music and theology. So I was going to be a worship leader mm-hmm. and start my pastoral career that way and then transition later. And it was my first church job I took as a full-time worship pastor after graduating from Oral Roberts University that I was forced to confront all the dogmas of my faith that I had been ignoring and running from growing up. Because in my dad's church, my family's church, we had the luxury of not really wrestling with that stuff because uh, we just emphasized all the great stuff about Christianity of Jesus loves you. God is forgiving, all loving, loves everybody. You know, everyone's invited to the table and we didn't talk about hell or the rapture or um, women's inferiority and stuff like that, which is in some of the new Testament books until I got my first job at a church that did talk about that stuff all the time. And I, you know, the universe backed me into a corner and was like, Hey, you have to determine if you believe in this version of God or not. Mm -hmm. And it was just so, insufferable to me to be in that environment. It was impalatable to digest those teachings every week and be on the stage and pretend like I want to be here when I don't want to be here. (laughs) So after like six months, I would say of taking that job, I I think nine months, something like that. I told my pastor like, Hey, we had a kind of a big falling out moment where I I talk about that on my YouTube channel and one of my videos where I kind of blew up and was like, I don't, I don't believe this stuff. I think it's all a bunch of hypocrisy and I don't want to work here anymore. But because I felt bad that I had just taken this job and they were looking for like a young, fresh face to put in the church as a worship leader to attract more young people, I felt bad for abandoning them. So I was like, I'll give you three more months and then I'm out of here, you know, (laughs) and it was the, oh, just the most tormenting three months of my life. Because as soon as I gave myself permission to question, I was like reading Alan Watts and watching Eckhart Tolle and new age stuff. And then I have to get up on stage and pretend like I'm a Christian, (laughs) but I really wasn't anymore in the, you know, fundamentalist sense of the word. Yes. But man, was I ever a disciple of Christ at that point? I mean, it was, it was my love for Jesus that made me question everything Mm -hmm. because I said, look, you, you keep saying everyone else is going to hell outside these four walls. And if they don't believe like we believe God's going to torture them and sorry, I don't see that God revealed in Christ. I see a God revealed in Christ that is all forgiving and merciful who forgave his murderers while they were murdering him, 
who freely walked around Israel and, and told people their sins were forgiven long before he went to the cross. I never saw Jesus say he was going to die to forgive people's sins, that he was a savior, that people should worship him. None of that stuff. So I don't know who you're talking about type right. of thing. So that was a really radical shift, as you can imagine, because as soon as I came out with that on Facebook and started posting about stuff, I was questioning, you know, all the hounds got loose on me and then started attacking me as a heretic and a cult leader and stuff. So I lost all my friends, literally all my friends, all my family, except for my parents and sister, basically never talked to me again. And I moved back to Oklahoma where I went to college at the time I had just gotten married as well and just started pursuing whatever I could find that resonated with me about the divine. And if God is into the Christian God, then who is God? What is the divine? Is there a God at all? Who's this Jesus guy I'm so inspired by if he wasn't a savior who was murdered on my behalf? And, you know, just my whole worldview flipped upside down in such a short amount of time, which threw me into a dark night of the soul. And my wife at the time wasn't coming along with me. So I knew that relationship wasn't congruent either. So I, I left my marriage after a couple more years of living in Oklahoma and then moved back to the Bay Area, moved in with my parents and kind of started life all over again at 26 and uh, took a job at Google in the Bay area as a personal trainer. And at that point, you know, because the Christian identity was gone for me, I needed something else. So it was like fitness. That's the other thing I've always been passionate about. Let's just be all about fitness. Mm -hmm. So fitness modeling in San Francisco, bodybuilding, personal training, my whole life was fitness. And I was so miserable inside because I had felt like I lost something that was so intimate to my sense of self the Christian, you know, I wouldn't have even known how to introduce myself hmm. after that experience of, cause it was always like, I'm Aaron, I'm a Christian. My name right. is Aaron. I'm a Christian, like yeah. as synonymous with my first name. Interesting. And so the experience happened to me at 27 was through this really dark period of after my divorce, everybody hates me and calls me a heretic. I don't have any foundation for relationship with God anymore. I don't know who I am or what life's about. So I would go up to this balcony above the gym that I was working at, at Google at the time, uh, on my lunch break, and just listen to an Eckhart Tolle video for about an hour and eat my lunch and just watch the clouds. And it was the only thing that gave me some peace of mind at that Mm. time. Why him? What was, what drew you to him? Did someone give you the book or listen to? Great question. (laughs) It was actually, have you seen his series that he did with Oprah Winfrey in 2008? Yes, I did that. Yes. I love that. That was the very first thing I ever watched spiritual material. I ever watched that wasn't Christian in my whole life. Oh, wow. You know, he was a, don't listen to this guy. He's a heretic. He's a cult leader. But as soon as you know that the stuff they believe is bullshit and and it's not, you know, what you thought it was, then all of a sudden you give yourself permission to explore. Right. I was like, Oh, I'm going to watch all this stuff. They told me was evil. (laughs) And I found out, wow, I'm actually resonating with this a lot. And you know, Eckhart had put these ideas on my, on my map that I'd never heard before, like the ego, like the voice in the head. You're not the voice in your head. Mm. Wow. I don't know how to engage with this idea. It's so radical. I'm not the voice in my head. Well, then who am I? Right. So years later, I would still listen to Eckhart Tolle and was really pursuing enlightenment teachings really heavily, mostly through Muji, Eckhart and Alan Watts. And I was on the balcony one day. It was just one of those days, the planets aligned. I can't say why. But uh, it was a lecture where Eckhart was giving little examples of what the ego says to us. 
And then he would chuckle at them and then the audience would laugh and then I would laugh. And he said four or five of them in a row, something like, um, if only people would be nicer to me, then I would truly be happy in life. <laughs> and then he would laugh at the silliness of that idea. And I was laughing because I related to what he was saying. Right. I was like, yeah, that's totally what the voice in my head says. And you know how laughter can be a very powerful form of realization sometimes? Right. I guess I sort of laughed myself into a kind of Satori moment where I just saw it on such a deeper level that this voice in my head causing me all this suffering of no one likes me. Everyone thinks I'm evil now. I have no real friends anymore. I just got divorced and I'm sad and lonely. I saw it all as like a tape recorder just on a loop. Mm-hmm. And like Nobody's there saying it. I don't have to give it meaning. It doesn't have to be true unless I say it is. I like to describe it this way. It's as if like, if I was going to give somebody a tour of my mind mm-hmm. and I'm walking somebody through my mind and I'm opening doors and I'm like, and this door is my personality and this door is all my fears and desires. If I opened the door that I said, you know, and in this, in this door is where Aaron is in my brain. Here's Aaron. And I fling the door open and I just saw a bunch of, you know, empty machinery just running by itself on, a, yeah. on gears or something. Mm-hmm. I'm like, wait, I'm supposed to be in here, but it's just a bunch of machines. Machines aren't real. Right. And I, something about it was so funny. Like I realized a cosmic joke had been played on me. And I was not the voice in my head at all. I was not the story character. I was pure consciousness, pure existence, pure divinity until I started crying from the joy of the realization. And I spent two weeks in that state of just pure Buddhahood and probably, you know, it was a third eye activation of some kind, but I literally couldn't even remember what suffering was or how it happens or what it feels like. Because the grokking recognition of reality was so intense hmm. that it was, I was so free. You know, it's like nothing was left in the wake of it. And so I just spent two weeks in this samadhi state. And uh, basically what happened was two weeks to the day, I woke up, checked my phone, and I noticed it was two weeks to the day that that experience had happened. Mm-hmm. And I'm still free. <laughs> and so that was when the first ego thought came back online that I didn't catch. And the thought was, wow, it's been two weeks. I wonder if this means that I'm enlightened. Right. I wonder if this is my permanent state of consciousness now. And then ego started gaining a foothold and clawed its way out of the broom closet I had stuffed it in or whatever. (laughs) And all the hardware came back online and I started suffering and, oh no, I'm losing the state. And I started panicking because I couldn't reactivate it. I couldn't figure out why it was going away. And then the guilt came of, oh, you screwed it up, man. You had a free sample of enlightenment. And there you went, giving ego attention again. And so slowly but surely, I came back to my previous state of consciousness of deep suffering and just really threw me into an even deeper dark night of the soul. But the beauty of that was, or the gift I would say, is that I had inarguable proof that the state of enlightenment is absolutely real and absolutely available for the human in this life. No part of me was capable of doubting it again. Hmm. And so that conviction obviously never left because I experienced it and it wasn't a dream. It was two weeks long. So all that mattered at that point was how do I get back to that state of consciousness and remain there? Nothing else matters. I walked out of my life, fitness modeling, quit on the spot, bodybuilding, quit, 
I kept my personal training job just because I didn't have any other form of career at that time. Right. But fitness was no longer my identity. And I started pursuing these teachings more heavily and slowly found texts like ACIM and the law of one. They just kind of came into my field as I was ready for them. And I had just started a YouTube channel about six months before I found the law of one where I had started making videos specifically for questioning Christians who were in the place I was in a few years prior where, you know, I don't want to throw Jesus and the Bible in the dumpster, but I don't believe all these dogmatic beliefs anymore. And I can't live with this internal conflict. Give me some answers. Help me out. Mm -hmm. And I just made a series of videos going through every single ideology of Christianity and, you know, reframing it in a very enlightened way that gave people a better way of looking at it. That doesn't mean, Oh, it's all just bullshit. Just throw it all away. Cause I don't think it is. I think there's a lot of gold to be rescued there, but it was at six months after I started that, that I found the law of one just blew my mind, rocked my world. I couldn't believe a text like this existed. And I just thought, wow, I can't believe this text isn't everywhere on the internet. There's really almost no content online about this. And uh, well, I mean, I started a YouTube channel a few months ago. Why not me? And I didn't think people would really resonate with it that much because, you know, it's channeled, it's <laughs> right. weird, but no, I was completely wrong. It instantly blew up and went viral. My first video on the seven densities and people were just like, this is incredible. Give me more. I want more. Right. So I just started making more videos and then, you know, here I am today. People consider me the law of one teacher. Right. Isn't that by Which, chance. when you say the two weeks that you were in that place, are you still in life going to work and doing all that? Oh yes. Okay. So you're yeah. reeling, you're in reality, but living in this place, in this state of pure bliss or in this place that you finally found the enlightenment. Yeah, it was, I had no sense at all of doing anything for those two weeks. It was just like, Oh, there's an obligation to go train someone who's paid me money. Well then life wants to do that because that's honoring and you know, the righteous thing to do. So I would just find myself in the car driving. Well, I'm driving to work. How fun is this? Everything's new. Everything's fresh. It would be like surprising if I walked by a mirror and saw my reflection Wow. Like there's a person there. Oh, it's me. Um, that's not me. I'm not this body. And I just couldn't relate, engage with it anymore. It was a incredibly powerful transformation that happened. Do you think, um, well, I know, but I think we think the same that your, (laughs) your video coming in to have this law of one enter my life is because I'm ready. 100%. 100%. Yes, 100%. And, and I know the student it. is ready, the teacher the, appears. Yes. So now to get under, so then I go down to the, my rabbit hole begins, right? So we start with the, the one video with the seven, the densities. Huh. Okay. So I know we're in, I'm in kindergarten. We all are in this third density. Yep. But I want to explain that to my listeners because the, you're right about that. Because once that is understood, that that's when you that rabbit hole goes because you want to know oh my gosh I, I get it that just that little bit you know just and yeah. then you can I mean it goes beyond but I think for people that first learn about the law of one and and meet you and learn that video and watch that video and learn from that that's really I mean I'm looking around like I have really my react I don't react I do live like you were just describing I get in the car to go pick my girls up and it's a this is amazing like I live that way. My, everything is that way. 
and I look outside, I go on my run this morning, listening to you. And I'm just like, it's in the dark and I'm running my dogs. And I'm thinking, gosh, my little dogs are getting ready to move to the third density. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I just, everything just changes the trees and the rocks and the, you know, the, the, the birds. So when you start to tap into that, those seven densities and understand that, that is when I really feel that magic changes. I mean, it's, Mm -hmm. it really does. It's like an awakening experience. (laughs) It is. So can you give your, uh, there's a lot I want to talk about. I don't want to take up, we can be here all all day, but I'll I'll try to give a super quick overview. If you know what the chakras are, then you have a leg up on understanding the densities, right? Because the densities, you could think of them as the chakras of the universe in a sense. They are the seven layers of experience that consciousness evolves through as it progresses through evolution and reincarnation. So the law of one says we all begin as pure matter in the first density correlating to the root chakra, earth, water, fire, air, and space. And the law of one says consciousness experiences a few billion years of that interaction until we know eventually microbial life begins to form in the ocean. And then, you know, insects, plants, animals, fish, Everything in that spectrum, everything that has growth and movement that, that can interact with its environment, that's the second density of consciousness, which correlates to the sacral chakra. And then we get to the third density once the um, attribute of self-awareness evolves. And that happened for human beings. No one knows how long ago, maybe probably a few hundred thousand years ago, maybe millions of years ago. But it's that point where and my theory is it would be somewhere around the advent of language. Whenever language was, was, began to be used, that's the labeling mechanism of the mind where we, we start making noises to refer to objects, right? Right. And at a certain point, once that language system, you know, it probably started with like, once we were, you know, ancient hominids, ape-like creatures, probably like right. guttural noises like apes make. Right. And slowly that evolved huh. into more complex sounds And at a certain point, the apes would have made noises to refer to one another because that's also very helpful, right? You all get a name so we can all just make whoever's name we want and get that ape's attention to do something we want. So at that point, I think is probably when self-awareness happened because once I'm given a name, then the mind can kind of do this about face and flip in on itself and then becomes an object to itself. And that's when the ego is born, that knowledge of I exist, I am. The mind begins to hijack that I am-ness and then put it on labels. I am this person. I am this body. I am this story character. I want this. I'm thinking that. I'm feeling that. I'm doing that. So that's the third density, which I don't know if I've said in a video, you made the comment a second ago, consciousness kindergarten. Right. If I did say that, that's not as accurate as it could be. I think third density is more like consciousness junior high school. Oh, Okay. Because consciousness kindergarten would be like first or second density, right? You're learning your ABCs, what is awareness. But third density, just like junior high, is the most challenging period of one's soul's evolutionary journey. Because in third density, the whole point, Ross says, is that we are here to choose a polarity, positive or negative. And so we spend probably hundreds of lifetimes reincarnating as a human and experiencing the darkness and the light in life. And it's supposed to be this way. It's supposed to be challenging because it's supposed to force you to make a decision because there's a lot of suffering in this density level. 
So you either say, I'm so tired of suffering. I want freedom. I have to choose the path of love. Love is my freedom, my salvation. And that is what allows the soul to evolve towards fourth density, which is the awareness of oneness or unity consciousness, where the mind, the consciousness has evolved enough to say, okay, yeah, it's true that we're in separate bodies. Third density would be the the belief in separation. Mm-hmm. It's true that we're in separate bodies, sort of, but it's clear that we're all one essence. We're all the same energy, just knowing itself in a million varieties. So let's love one another. Let's get along. Let's work together. That's going to make a much better world for us than this third density world of tribalism and warfare and separation. So that's the period that we're in right now, Ross says, of making this transition from a third density planet to a fourth density planet. 2012 is when this earth went from three to four, right? To the fourth density. Yes. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Yeah, the Mayan calendar thing. Right. Each density has a certain period of time, Ross says, that it lasts for. Planetary cycles, you might think of it. And Ross says third density is incredibly short compared to all the others because it's so intense. So the creator is very merciful in that sense that it doesn't make us stay here for millions of years, but just about 75,000, Ross says. 75,000 years is about how long it takes for the earth to become magnetized to fourth density. And so we're in 2012, we hit that point of our third cycle of 25,000 years, finishing third density, which means now our planet has to be magnetized to the next density level. Ross says like the striking of the hour on a clock. So you can see that in our planet, right? We're clearly trying to learn these lessons of oneness and unity and healing all the separation on our planet. But it's, these are tough lessons. It's, it's like a planetary shadow work that we're doing right now. Mm-hmm. Okay. So <laughs> I didn't. So anyway, so now we're into the fourth density. Yes. But see, when you talk about that, where are you in the fourth density? Well, so the fourth density is literally a physical phenomenon where the photons vibrating at that density level. So density, if we could back up a second, density refers to the amount of light in a given space. So if I have one photon that vibrates a hundred times a second, and then another photon that vibrates a million times a second, this one's going to have a lot more density of light, obviously. So that's the nature of evolution as the more that the photon increases its vibrational speed or velocity, the color spectrum changes like a color wheel kind of bleeds into the next color. So we go from yellow into like a lime green, yellow, and then a darker lime green, and then a true color green. So we're just at that point of beginning that light lime green color, I think, just beginning to step into it. But in my own spiritual evolution, personally, yes, I can begin to integrate fourth density consciousness. And that actually can allow me to begin activating fourth density energy in my body, which we typically call kundalini awakening. When that energy surges up the spine to the crown chakra, you're literally activating the green ray body or becoming a fourth density being living inside a third density body, which okay. is pretty amazing. And you learned the Kundalini from doc, Dr. Joe Dispenza or how did that come to, cause I've been, I was listening to that and how you, it's in your spine. It's in your root chakra. Correct. And it, you do breath work. Mm. You do a Kundalini exercise and it gets through your third eye. And that Correct. is when you are experiencing the fourth density? Yeah, it's um 
Have you watched the video I posted a few weeks ago about the graduation test? Probably. I've watched so many right now. My head is <laughs> <laughs> It's the one where I lay out the, um, the calibrations of each density. Right. Yes. I watched that. that one. Yes. So using the David Hawkins yes. scale of consciousness model, Hawkins maps third density consciousness from zero to a thousand. So my question was, well, what do the other densities calibrate at? What's their spectrum look like? And when calibrating them with three separate people who do calibrations, startlingly enough, all three of them gave me the exact same results, which blew my mind. But it was like, I can't argue with these results. And the way that the results came back were that the fourth density begins at a thousand, obviously, like the color wheel bleeds into the next one, but it ends at 5,000. So a thousand represents the highest energy level a third density body is capable of producing in consciousness. And that's the level of the avatars like Buddha, Christ, Krishna, Zoroaster, Babaji, etc. Right. Very rare that someone activates the highest potential. Most of us, let's say if you're not spiritual at all, quote unquote, you're probably around 100 to 200 or somewhere in there, and maybe even lower than that. In the spiritual community, I would say most people are probably between 300 and 500, and then very advanced souls are above 500 into the six or 700s. So the average person is still three to five times below the highest level of possibility that's available here. And fourth density begins where Christ ends, right? right. So that tells you how much more energy we're dealing with. And they have the potential to go all the way up to five times the amount of energy of a Christ or a Buddha. So that energy is extraordinarily powerful compared to the one we're normally used to in third density. Mm-hmm. It is... Um, it requires the nervous system to be cultivated and prepared for it because if it's not, you've probably heard, you know, examples of people who have Kundalini awakenings and it can either be an incredibly transformational, blissful experience of God union, or if somebody sort of awakens it on accident, which does happen, it can be a very traumatic and difficult experience that leaves them in a kind of state of psychosis because Ra talks about distortions, right? In our chakras. Mm -hmm. If I'm a super unhealed person, and I mean, some people literally fall off of a horse or off of a motorcycle or down the stairs and something that if it hits the root chakra, just right on that cerebrospinal fluid, somehow, I don't know, it activates the Kundalini and it just exacerbates all the distortions in their body. So every trauma, every fear, every self hatred, all of it will become manifest by three to five times. So people literally have to go to the psych ward sometimes, and this is very rare, but it does happen. Hmm. So that's an example of why the nervous system needs to be prepared, right? We have to open it gradually through breath work, through Kriya yoga, which is how I started learning about this through the teachings of Yogananda, that um, we have to pull prana into the system and kind of through the breath work, we can sort of milk the Kundalini gently and start to gradually push those distortions out and allow awareness to see them and forgive them and heal them. And Ra calls that spiritual balancing in the law of one. So at a certain point when the nervous system is prepared for it, the state of what we call enlightenment just begins to manifest. And we could say that enlightenment is the beginning of fourth density consciousness. Hmm. So when Jesus and Buddha, they all reach that thousand and that level, Yes. So now how do you look at that 
as where they are now. So are the level of energy that is produced in, in consciousness is limited to the vehicle that you're in. Ross says that every soul that, that incarnates in the universe has to have a body of some kind. So all the seven densities have some kind of body, but the higher up we go in the densities, it becomes more and more a light body, right? So fourth density is this hybrid between third and fifth, where it's like still partially a chemical vehicle, but it's also partially pure electromagnetic energy. And we know that our bodies are also full of electromagnetic energy. That's how life operates. But fourth density is, you know, five, 10 times higher than the average person would be conducting right now. But still in a body. In a body, yeah. So the fourth density body, you could think of it maybe like if you've seen the movie Avatar, probably much taller and longer, less dense, heavy, you know, density in, in terms of like heaviness, more translucent, more bright. You could probably see light glowing from their skin a bit. Hmm. And as we get to fifth density, that's when you become a pure light body. And I think my assumption is because there is this activation that has to happen in the third density body to activate fourth density energy. Mm -hmm. My hunch is that every density has a kind of Kundalini activation like that, where the next density levels energy at a certain point in that spectrum, you're ready to start activating the Blu-ray and then the Blu-ray starts flowing through. So that's just a hunch. Ra doesn't say that, but based on the teachings of the law of one, it would make a lot of sense to me if it worked like that. Right. So go continue from the, so we know the fifth, now go through the sixth and the seventh density. We can understand that. So fourth density correlates to the heart chakra, the density of love. Fifth density correlates to the throat chakra, which is the density of wisdom. And even the name of the throat chakra in Sanskrit is uh, Vishuddha. And Vishuddha in Sanskrit means total purification. Shuddha, purification, V means total. So it represents wisdom or purification of mind. So the fifth density is the density of wisdom or light. And then the sixth density correlates to the third eye chakra. And that is the density of of, uh, unity or balance, the law of one density, where the soul has to achieve a perfect balance between the heart and the throat, love and wisdom, masculine and feminine, which is a very difficult balance to strike apparently. Mm-hmm. Sixth density, I think Ross says, is 75 million years in length. And once you become a light body, apparently the body no longer needs to experience physical death. So you just have one body the entire time it takes you to make it through that density level. Okay. And then the so body's So you're not upgraded. going back. You're not going back to third density once you get to six. That's true. Unless you choose to reincarnate as a wanderer, then you right. can go back. Yes. Yeah, I can't but wait to explain that. But continue. And then I want to go back to the wanderer. Yeah, the wandering, we'll definitely get back to that because that's an important point. So then the last density is seventh density, which correlates to the crown chakra. And Ra calls this the gateway density. They don't know much about this density level. They do know that at the sixth density level, which is where they are, Ra being the being that's being channeled in the law of one, you have to become the higher self at that level where you kind of turn back in time and serve as a guide to all your previous lifetimes. And that's part of your own evolution to get you from the end of sixth into the start of seventh. At the start of seventh, you kind of have one foot in the source, one foot still in the universe, and you're kind of pulling the two together and trying to merge them together. And then once seventh density is completed, no clue how long it lasts. I would imagine it's longer than sixth density though. Then that's a full cycle of one whole universe you've evolved through. 
And Ra calls that one octave because like a, a scale on a piano has seven notes on the musical scale. When you hit that eighth note, that's the next octave of the note you started from. And Ra says, that's how the universe works or even the color wheel, right? Once you go through violet, it goes back to red again. Right. So it's this end, never ending cycle of universe after universe, big bang and explosion and implosion. And um, Ra calls that sort of the heartbeat of the one infinite creator, which has been going on for eternity and always will be going on for eternity. Right. So going back to the, the polarity and the choosing the, the self ish or the two, the positive or negative. Right. And how the wanderers come back. And I want you to go there because, you know, when I think of after it made me look at, you know, who I look around, like you were talking about being at Starbucks or something, and I'm looking at some people mm-hmm. in a whole different way now. Yeah. And I, you know, it's like, I'm there. What, what is that? You know, what's going on in that energy, you yeah. know, and I do that at the grocery store a lot, but not, not now to the extreme of what I do now after being with you for the last <laughs> month. But when I think of just people that I've come had in my life that, you know, they're negative, narcissistic, you know, this like, oh, so heavy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I think, okay, they're choosing the negative <laughs> path. So we explain that because I, you, that really helped me. Yeah. So what you were getting at is that Ra calls the positive polarity, the service to others polarity. And the negative polarity is the service to self polarity. And there's a caveat that service to others doesn't mean you no longer serve yourself or do anything beneficial to yourself. You just serve others like a martyr or something. That's not what it means. Ra says all service is ultimately service to self. Because when I love you and I serve you, I'm imbued with happiness and love and I polarize as a result. So it benefits both of us to be on service to others. But the service to self path is the exception that one serves the self at the expense of another. Mm -hmm. Meaning I take from you, I manipulate you, I deceive you, I control you to benefit me at your own cost. So that's the negative path of separation. And so we're here to choose between those two paths. And Ra says, in order to graduate to fourth density, you have to choose a polarity. And so the question is, well, what's the point where the source decides you've chosen? You've made that choice. And Ra says it has to be for the positive path that you are at least 51% or more service to others oriented. So you, you know, a simplistic way you could th- see that is if you were faced with a simulation an experience of some kind where you could either choose to help somebody else or forget them and help yourself. You know, I don't know, um, a plane, you know, plane crash and the masks drop or whatever. And you're freaking out. Do you put your own mask on first or do you help the little kid next to you? If you do that 51 out of a hundred times, the source says, all right, this being has chosen the positive path, but with the negative path, it's not that way. Because the negative path is essentially the exact opposite of the creator's nature. It's all about separation and exclusion and selfishness and greed. And the creator, as Ross says, is pure love and light and unity. So because the negative polarity is serving an important role in the universe, which is to show what the opposite of the creator is like, one has to be almost 100% negatively polarized to graduate to a fourth density negative lifetime. So it's, it's actually 95% or greater. So even souls now that are very selfish and greedy, they're probably not actually going to be negatively polarized. 
Okay. It's very rare. I think less than 10% of souls in the universe graduate to fourth density negative because it's so hard to sustain the negative polarity. The negative polarity is built on entropy, which is a thermodynamics term, which means lots of chaos and disorder. Mm-hmm. And the positive path is built on harmony and unity. So it's a lot easier to sustain on an evolutionary path. But with that being said, in third density, both are equally difficult. And you might go, well, how is that true? That's no way that's true. It's true because we have something called the veil of forgetting in third density. And this is why we don't remember our past lifetimes. We don't understand that we're souls on a journey. We just arrive in these bodies with absolutely no reference point of where we just came from. And Ra says that's done on purpose by the logos or the source, Mm -hmm. because it wants, it doesn't want us to know what game we're playing. Because if we know what game we're playing, that might infringe on our authentic choice between the polarities. So because the source wants us to choose whatever polarity our soul naturally gravitates towards, it's sort of like, I like the analogy of if you and I are playing a virtual reality game Mm -hmm. and I say, oh, let me in that game. I'm going to make all the right decisions. I'm going to, I'm going to crush it. I'm going to do so well. And you're like, all right, Aaron, let's see what you're made of. And then I I get put in the game, but I don't remember anything before the game, kind of like a dream. I'm just Uh there playing the game. Let's pretend the game is about being kind and loving and people are being rude to me and I'm being rude back and I just fail big time. I'm a jerk. I'm a, you know, an asshole, whatever you want to say. I leave the game and I come back and Ashley's like, Aaron, what happened, man? You thought you said you were going to do so well, but you totally failed. And then I have this kind of come to Jesus moment, right? Where I'm like, I guess I'm not as as spiritual as I thought I was. I really thought I would be loving if I was placed in that environment. So I'm like, let me go back. I got to have another chance. I got to pass this game. That's what the soul is doing here. It's taking chance after chance, lifetime after lifetime until it makes the right choices. Mm -hmm. And so that's why we don't remember anything here and why we have to naturally grapple with love and fear, unity and separation until our soul is fully convinced that either one of those paths is what I'm really looking for. Right. So when you think of being, you know, choosing the negative and you're living in our life in three, in this third density, watching life, seeing the people now that I understand this. But when you talk about like Eckhart Tolle and the people that have come back as wanderers mm-hmm. because they've reached that level in fourth density. So they make a choice to reincarnate in back to 3d to help raise the vibration on this earth. So we're, it's easier for us to all ascend into the fourth density. Is that correct? That's correct. Yay. (laughs) Because it's the service to others density or polarity. So we, we polarize, we gain energy and consciousness by helping others as if they're ourselves. So when, when a wanderer from a higher density chooses to come back, there's a couple of reasons a soul might do that. The first reason is because third density, because it's the only density that has the veil of forgetting, there's a lot more opportunity for polarizing here. And you can think of it this way. If you're trying to learn how to play poker, but you know you, you're only learning how to play poker while seeing everybody's hands, you know, you're learning a new game and someone's like, okay, here's how it works. You get five cards and they're showing you their cards and you would want to put this card down. So you can learn a little bit that way, but to really master the game, you have to play the game. 
Right. You don't want to know what your, your opponent's cards are because that's how you get better. So third density is like that. The soul doesn't remember where it comes from or why it came here. It's just here and it's natural vibration has to carry the load and has to, you know, show up in life. So a soul will do that if they're really trying to polarize, there's a risk reward in third density, because if you'd make the right choices, if you are as evolved as you think you are, and you love people and serve them and all that stuff, then you can gain a lot more polarity in a third density lifetime than in your native density, let's say, in that span of time. Right. But if you don't remember who you are and you don't make the right choices, you can get karmically involved here, meaning maybe I kill somebody. Maybe I steal from people and I'm not a very loving person. Well, my soul is going to come back from that lifetime and I've lost a lot of polarity. So I'm going to go, oh man, I can't believe I did that. Please, I got to go back. Give me another chance. So I'm going to choose another lifetime that I think sets up better parameters for me. Maybe I'll say, okay, let me, let me be born in a religious household so I know and I serve God from a young age. That gives me a better chance at making the right choices, hopefully. But let's right. find out. And it's kind of a gamble, right? You set up the parameters and then you run the script and see what happens. So that's the first reason. The second reason is what you said, which is that um, seeing a struggling planet like ours, if you incarnate there to be of service, like let's say Christ who knew he was going to be a martyr on this planet to help raise the consciousness through a great act of service, you can also gain a lot of polarity on the positive path. So for that reason, Ross says negative beings don't wander very much, if at all, because there's way too much risk for them. It's so difficult to negatively polarize. You have to conquer others. You have to deceive others, control and manipulate them. So you can lose polarity really easy and it's really hard to gain it. So it's like very precious to the negative polarity, every little bit of polarity they gain. And in a third density lifetime, you know, you might wander into a yoga studio and reverse polarities and lose all your progress. So they don't really <laughs> want to run that risk, if that makes sense. Yes. Will you go into the explanation you have about your higher self? That's your future teacher? Sixth density self. Yeah. Sixth density, density self. So when people say, listen to your higher self, get, you know, meditate, get connected, that you're trying to learn the lessons from the sixth density, from your sixth density, your higher self. Yeah, it's, it would be more accurate to say your sixth density future self is trying to give your third density self the right lessons that it needs. Got it. So like all the life experiences you have, you know, the partner you chose, the job career you chose, falling outs with people, like these are all what Ra calls catalysts, that if you handle them with love and forgiveness, then you polarize positively. So the higher self is literally you from the future that is looking back at your incarnation and setting up all the main obstacles and, and catalysts that you're going to experience because it knows you the best. It knows what it thinks will be the best test for you to pass. And that's also part of the higher self's evolution because sometimes the higher self bites off more than it thinks you can chew and gives you something that might be too challenging for you and sets you back a little bit. So it's, it's a very finely tuned balance that the higher self is, is treading. You know, like, so Aaron, you in this body, you stay Aaron. I mean, not the name, but you stay that personality right? throughout all the densities, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You could think of the soul as the seven energy centers. In, in Hinduism, it's called the subtle body or the energy body. And that's what captures all the information 
that you learn in every lifetime. So the Hindus put it like this. They say there's, there's four bodies, but let's just say there's three. The physical body is the first one. That's just the meat suit you're wearing. The subtle body is the energy body that you're in. And then the causal body, it's called the, the causal body or the bliss body. It's like the pure void state. So it's like the subconscious realm of the soul. And that's why it's called the causal body, because everything that your soul experiences is experienced through the energy body, emotions, feelings, sense perceptions, memories, and so forth. All that data goes into the causal body, which is an infinite void that stores all your lifetimes, everything you've ever experienced. And so when you're going to incarnate into another body, the causal body is what creates the next one, right? All the information in there is what causes the next incarnation you choose. So your Kundalini, your seven energy centers is what gets transplanted into new physical bodies every lifetime. Mm. So you have a new physical body, which does have to an extent, some of its own conditioning, right? I inherit some of my parents' genetics. Some of my parents' personality traits we know can shine through the body, the mind unit, but all the impressions, the the essence of what makes Aaron, Aaron, that's eternal. And that always reincarnates into the next lifetime, but it doesn't have a name such as Aaron. Right. The name is what the body gets, right? The energy body is just a pure infinite soul, part of the creator. And eventually that soul at the end of seventh density merges back with the creator. Right. So when you picture in your mind, Aaron in this different energy body, what do you picture? Are you an angel? Do you, how do you visualize that? Like at a higher density? Yes. Yeah, very much so. I like to give the example of a fifth density body would be like an angel mm-hmm. because, you know, in the Bible and in so many texts, Mormon texts, the Quran, there's so many examples of, they call them these beings of light that show up, right? White, radiant light. And people call them angels. Well, what they actually are, are fifth density extraterrestrials or beings in the universe who, um, another thing we haven't touched on is the importance of free will. Yes. I just love the law of one, right? Cause it just gives these <laughs> incredible explanations for all the mysteries of life. Yes. So we say, oh, if ETs exist, why don't we see them everywhere? We right. call that the Fermi paradox and scientists can't wrap their brains around it. And the reason they don't understand it is because they don't understand the importance of free will. And so on the positive path, we polarize by honoring and protecting and serving free will. So a positively polarized being never wants to make a decision for anybody. I want to let you make the decision. I may give you pointers and advice, but I can't tell you what to do. Because if I start telling you what to do, that's a form of control. And that's Mm -hmm. the negative polarity. So I will depolarize myself. So. Ra calls that infringement, right? Mm -hmm. The negative polarity obviously is the reverse. I want to control you and manipulate you, your free will. That's why I polarize negatively. So the reason we don't see ETs everywhere is because it would be an infringement of our free will because a huge part of our collective consciousness maybe doesn't believe in aliens or is afraid of aliens and thinks they're evil and here to, you know, all the Hollywood movies Mm -hmm. to destroy us and stuff. So they're not going to show up on our planet until we collectively acknowledge them and say, hey, we know you exist. We know you're good and you want to help us. We would love to have a relationship with you. And then they would have no problem interacting with us because it's our free will leading the way. Got it. So every so often, fifth density beings, let's say, will show up 
in their light body form and interact with humans. But I think it happens to religious humans more often because religious people believe in angels. Right. So they'll show up how you believe I exist. You believe angels exist. Well, I'm what you think I am, right? So it's not really an infringement. And then we have sixth density, which is Ross says is more of a golden light body. And I believe that's probably what we call archangels. Right. Like Ra would be like an archangel in a religious mythological sense. These really high advanced beings that are like so divine and spiritual. They're actually just other beings like you and I. They're in a much later stage of their evolution. Hmm. When you think of, so I was listening to something about sign, like signs and, you know, I always look at numbers and think of the angels and, you know, I have, I'm a mom of two girls and we talk about all this. I really do. I talk about, especially now, like I'm teaching them the law of one in the car on the way to school. Cause nice. I was explaining like, look <laughs> at how you get from here to here. Like, look at all the people that, you know, trying to connect the dots and seeing mm -hmm. when you say yes to life and you listen to your intuition and you go move forward. And that's why you got there. And then look at all the people that had to come into that play to get you to where you are. Wow. How old yeah. are they? 13 and 15. Oh, amazing. Nice. Yeah. So, you know, and I've, we've, since they were born, I, I didn't have them till I was 37 and 40. So oh, when wow. I think of, you know, my life before, I mean, all the, well, Course in Miracles would have been an Eckhart Tolle and all those, you know, they weren't born till 2006 and 2008. Mm. So all that time in my life that I really at that stage of the, you know, you think of like the secret came out in 2006, you know, where people mm -hmm. are just starting to like open, but yeah, then when you come start, a long way, huh? Yes. In that short time. And then you look at 2012 and I, you know, that whole Mayan calendar and understanding now, like all the channels that I've had on this podcast, it's always 2011, 2012, mm -hmm. you know, it's all around that. But you know, when, when I think of when people understand a channel we would describe, because I know that's where we're all leading to is it's a community. I wrote it down, but the, what is that? The channeled work, social um, memory complex, social memory complex. Yeah. Yes. You want to explain but, that? Yeah. And explain that. But it's, you know, when I think of, I've done past life regressions where it made me understand uh, telepathy because I was with my daughter and I felt, you know, I saw her, we, we were talking or even dreams. I'm, you know, it's like, we're in a dream. You know, that we're not talking, we're, but that's where we're leading to in the fourth density is telepathy yeah. and all that. Yes. Yeah. Could you, could you explain that a little bit? I know we're getting to the end, but there's just so much. Yeah, there's so much. We go forever. <laughs> One of the things Ra talks about is the way that the logos is um, the aspect of the creator's intelligence that decides what aspects are going to evolve on any given star system or planet. And you could think of every galaxy, every sun or solar system, every planet and every person is an experiment that the creator is running. And it literally doesn't know the results until the results come in. And that's in the manifest aspect of the creator. The unmanifest aspect of the creator obviously knows everything, contains everything. There's no time. Right. But in the manifest realm, it doesn't know what's going to happen until it runs the experiment. And so evolution can be shaped in a variety of ways. Ross says on our planet, the opposable thumb was one of the experiments that our logos was running. Mm -hmm. So let's see what happens if we create self-aware entities with opposable thumbs. And Ross says what happened was we became obsessed with hand-making tools and technology. And 
that probably led to the advent of verbal language. Apparently, verbal language is actually more rare than NVC or nonverbal communication is in the universe. Most species develop like a dolphin or a bat or something, some kind of nonverbal communication through many different mechanisms that can happen. But on our planet, we communicated with noises first through a mouth. And so that changes the nature of obviously how we interact with each other and experience each other. But Ra says, as that fourth density energy is activated, it activates all the latent psychic abilities Mm -hmm. that are available in consciousness. One of which is to pick up one another's feelings. We call that empathy and pick up one another's thoughts, which we call telepathy. So if we imagine you and I, Ashley, are evolving in the fourth density and we begin to slightly be able to pick up each other's thoughts. And, you know, couples, this is not uncommon for couples that live together for a long time. They can start to predict and and know what their counterpart is thinking and feeling, right? Right. That's a form of telepathy. But imagine if that got more and more advanced and just kept evolving to the point where I can literally speak to you without moving my mouth. Mm -hmm. I know I have some friends who, who can do this when they're on like psilocybin magic mushrooms. They've done this with people before, just telepathically talking at a certain point. I can literally show you my memories, how I feel about everything and and vice versa. And Ross says that love is the strongest magic in the universe. Love is what connects us psychically. So if we love one another, then we can, it's like, it's a psychic quantum entanglement of some kind that allows us to link our consciousness together or join in the field maybe, and we can exchange thoughts. And at a certain point, when I love you enough and you love me enough and we're, it's unconditional love then what am I afraid of hiding anymore? You can have access to all my memories, all my thoughts, all my lifetimes. I want you to see all of me. Mm -hmm. That's love, right? Hmm. So when we do that, we sort of become one being. We're still living in two bodies, but like I could be in San Francisco and you could be in New York and someone could say, hey, can I talk to Ashley? And I'll say, no problem. And I'll just start talking like I'm Ashley because I have just as much access to your mind as you have and vice versa. So Ross says, as that phenomenon keeps evolving, more people join that group mind and it becomes a social memory complex that at a certain point, the entire planet is sharing one mind. Everyone loves one another and the gravity of love. No one's outside of that love. Get in here, baby. Let's be a team. Let's be one mind, right? And that's what Ra is. Ra is a social memory complex of the planet Venus which evolved a few billion years earlier than planet earth did. And Ra says they didn't have opposable thumbs. A lot of aliens are pictured with four fingers or like right. five fingers that all point upwards. So they, they were much more of a philosophical society, much more feminine oriented in their energy, whereas earth were much more masculine oriented. So they developed telepathy on a late third density stage. And they moved through fourth density very quickly and harmoniously. And now they're in the sixth density. So that's a phenomenon that happens in every planet at some point, even on the negative path, although they do it without love. So it's sort of like the planet, in a sense, becoming self-aware and evolving its own mind. And we are that mind, right? Right. But we could have been on Venus, right? Or no? Like your soul could have been? Yes. Yeah. You could be a wanderer from Ra's social memory complex. And in fact, they ask Ra, are there wanderers? of your memory complex on earth right now. And Ross says, yes. And they say, are, is one of the three of us a wanderer from your memory complex? 
And they say, yes. Hmm. And they say, can you tell us which one of us is the, a wanderer from your memory complex? And Ross says, no. No, the veil. Yeah, that's infringement. I get, yes, in I get opinion. that. So sometimes, you know, you know, like I, when I'm doing my spiritual work, we're ending. I'm sorry, I know we're at the Oh, no, end. it's totally fine. <laughs> okay. That hour just flew by, didn't it? <laughs> yes. Oh, I get so into this. I'm so into this. So the social memory complex. So when I like listen to Abraham, you know, she's Esther's channeling Abraham, a social memory complex. Right. You know, I'm I'm also we, we, yes. And then I'm in this group called with Joshua. He's at the end. We are Joshua. It's like, we are all Joshua. We are in my mind. And it's like, I kind of see now I am Joshua. Or, you know, I am that because I was attracted to those teachings with a hundred more other other people. Like when they talk that way and I realize the social memory complex, I could have been like a, in my fourth density, but came back as a wanderer through that to bring this earth energy to understand, to this understanding, right? Yes. I mean, if you're really interested in spirituality, you're most likely a wanderer, very likely. Oh. Huh. But you know, when you think of where, where the world's coming to, and I see this division and I see the, some people that I, you know, that I really admire and spiritual and they're, you know, on the side of the road with the signs and, you know, at the anti-vaccine and what's this world coming to. And so, you know, going down that way. And so it's like, then I start getting confused. <laughs> what about? Well, just, you know, how you think of where we're going and I'm not, it's not a judgment, but you think like, I just, I don't watch the news. I, you know, I don't, I'm not on one side or the other. It's all you great. This is our journey. That's your journey. But then when you see like why this 2020 came, I know it's part of this evolution and part of the vibration that we all had to come together and join in this. What, tell me what your take on it and then we will end, but what is your take on where we're going? And then I want to know what you're doing. What's your like dream life in the next 10 years? Mm-hmm. Well, we're at a very pivotal point in our planet's evolution. We are doing our collective shadow work, I think, to heal our third density scars so that we can truly transition to fourth density, just like we have to do it individually, right? And the thing is, everybody thinks they're on the side of, of good, you know, and they're doing the right thing. One side of people are saying, hey, you're forcing us to take an unvalidated medical product. And you're a company that has a long list of criminal history of pushing medications on people that cause death and illness and lying about your medications. Why should we be forced against our will to trust that your medication is safe? And so that's what they're protesting. The other side is saying, oh, come on, you want to kill grandma, you know, all that stuff. You don't care about people. Just take the thing. Just do it. Just comply. And it's like both people think they have the the good, virtuous, noble cause so that there's a catalyst, right? Who's right and who's wrong? And I think our planet has been, as we all know at this point, sort of been run by service to self forces secretly at the highest levels of power who are the people who kind of trickle down all the movements on this planet of what happens and where the money goes and what wars happen and what leaders get elected and stuff. And we're just waking up to this fact that, Hey, we've got to stop outsourcing our power to to people above us. You know, this, this enormous gap of wealth and inequality in our world of the 99 and the 1%, 
That's a kind of sickness on our planet. That's not, that's moving towards a service to self planet, right? Of total Mm -hmm. control and tyranny and domination. And so people are saying, Hey, we don't want this to be a service to self planet. We want this to be a service to others planet, a positively polarized planet, which means we do need to raise awareness to some extent about the forms of shadows on our planet. We need to heal, but we also can't do it in a way that is coming at it with the same energy. We can't be negative and attacking and judgmental. We have to forgive those who would seek to abuse us and control us, see them as one with us and love them. And that's how we raise the vibration of the planet. So I'm, I'm very optimistic in that. I think we are moving the right direction. I think we're going through that dark night period right. where you got to look at your shit. You got to look at the shadows and be able to see them fully in all their darkness and love them and forgive them. And we're slowly learning how to do that. At first, it's scary, right? I don't want to see this. I don't want to know that this is the true nature of things. I don't want to accept this as part of me. But slowly, you realize there's no choice but to accept it. That's the only way forward. Right. And I think we're stepping into that now. And I think we've got a lot more chaos ahead probably in coming years. But Ra says that the transition will take between 100 to 700 years to fully evolve to a fourth density planet, depending on the speed of our evolution. And I really think at a certain point when enough of humanity, maybe 51% or more, I don't know, Mm -hmm. acknowledges that there are positive ETs here that want to be of service to us and help us in this evolution, I think that will be a really powerful catalyst to speed things up. And so that's a big part of um, my own, you know, career path of teaching the law of one is to get this information out there and awaken the collective consciousness that yes, extraterrestrials are absolutely real. Here's how it works. And if we want contact with them, here's what we got to do. Stop seeing them as our enemies. Stop seeing them as a threat because they're not going to contact us if if they think we are, right? Right. And uh, that's, you know, a very exciting thing that I think we might be 50 years or less away from, or it might be a few hundred, I don't know, but I always take the optimistic route at the end of the day. Right. So you feel like that is a possibility in, in, I mean, I'm older than you, but in this lifetime of yours. Certainly. Yeah. That you will see that. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it won't happen like, oh, they're just going to land on the White House front lawn or something. I think more and more channeled works like the law of one will start coming through. Mm-hmm. And I even think that if there are certain segments of society, as I think society will kind of continue to divide like a cell, you know, at the left and the right or the blue and the red and people that want to be in free states or people that want to be in liberal states will kind of go their separate ways. I think pockets of communities will form where there might be an entire, you know, town or city that's completely on board with this stuff, which means that an extraterrestrial race might start communicating with them. Oh, okay. But only to them. And then that information has to get out and, Hey, you hear what's happening down here or down there. They have all these amazing texts coming out and slowly we awaken to the presence of these extraterrestrial beings. I think it'll happen more like that than just Mm -hmm. UFOs, you know, appearing in the sky. Right. Yeah. It's definitely more of a common talk. I mean, more common right now than it's ever been. It's used to be like, don't talk about that. (laughs) You're like, what? I mean, even the government acknowledged it recently. Yeah. Which is pretty amazing. So yeah, I see that too. That's amazing. So Aaron Apke, he is going to have his birthday next week and turn 33. You're engaged? Yes. Okay. And what is that? Like you found somebody that you can grow with? Like what, since you were, I didn't know you were divorced from the past, Mm -hmm. but now you found somebody like, what was the, how did you create that? Great question. 
yeah, I got married at 23 and I did the, you know, the Christian route I was told of like, stay celibate till you're married with this person and then get married. And it didn't work out obviously. And uh, 26 got divorced and then had a, I would say two real long-term relationships in that span, but before my current partner, my fiance, and it's just been such a growing learning experience. Like, as we all know, relationships are just the best catalyst for growth. If you use them, because your partner will just dig those things out of you that other people can't and allow you to see stuff in yourself that, you know, if you hurt this person you love so much, it's really hard pill to swallow, which forces you to do some inner work. So I would say I've definitely learned the vast majority of my lessons in life through relationships. And uh, my partner and I very much have a, a guru relationship with each other where we see each other as anything you trigger in me is my issue to look at, not your fault. So the more triggered we are, it's like, thank you for showing me that. Yes. And um, I've been very lucky that she is an incredibly grounded, mature woman with so much spiritual depth. So it's really easy to grow with her. We have an almost frictionless relationship, but that's, I think, only because I had two long-term, really painful, challenging relationships before this that I kind of learned a lot of those important lessons through. Right. Yes. I love, you know, the triggers in life, you know, as a mom, especially like, you know, trying to show the girls at teenage years, you know, that, oh, so-and-so, you know, bullied or hurt me. And I live a trigger-free life. And Mm -hmm. it's been an amazing feeling to live in this peace place where, I mean, Richard and I never, I, someone asked, how's married life? It's going to be 17 years. I go to Paige, does mom and dad tell me, she's like, I've never seen you fight. (laughs) We just, it's just, it's not, yeah. I mean, it's definitely been a progression of, you know, but you know, now at this, this stage, it's like we understanding those beliefs is it's a mirror of me. And the minute I get that trigger, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's me. How, how dare I even think of He's perfect, yeah. yes. <laughs> you know, yeah. isn't that fun? It is. Cause then you can, you can have disagreements or what you might call an argument. That's totally conscious. You know, you're talking to one another, you're listening, you're calm, your, your energy is being shared and you can work stuff out together and talk it out together. It's like, we don't need this, the anger, the screaming or the vitriol. That's such a liberating place to be in a relationship. It really yeah, that's is. That's amazing that you're that age and that you've reached that. I think that's amazing. I'm I know. So happy I'm, for I'm you. so blessed, man. I really am. So are you going to have babies? Are you going to get married soon? What's the future for Aaron? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know exactly what's going to happen in the future. We, we will get married. We're not going to go through the government route, though. We're going to do like a ceremony and just kind of keep it sacred between us. But as far as kids go, I mean, I would imagine that'll happen. I don't have a preference either way. I'm just like, Hey, whatever life wants for me, right. You know, is what I'm cool with. So we will see. Oh, I love it. Oh, you're so, thank you for coming into my life or thanking, thank the universe for bringing you to me and uh-huh. me opening up to letting you in and knowing where I'm at and ready to go and that I can share this with my world. And um, you've just been such a gift and think of what you're going to be doing here on this planet, changing the world. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a blessing to hear. And, and thank you for the kind words. And thank you for having me on your show. I, I love any opportunity I have, especially with somebody like yourself, who's so passionate about this material. 
It's like, we could just, we could do this for five hours probably. Oh, totally. <laughs> and I was like, I wonder if I, in a few months, I can ask him for a part two. <laughs> oh, of course. I would love to. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Anyway, I love it. So to find you, it's Aaron Apke on Instagram. Yeah. Everywhere. Website. YouTube. Yeah, slash, everything. Yeah. And you're having, you're doing something with the Course of Miracles. You do, I was just watching that, um, that manifestation class. What, tell me about that. Yeah. I have a really fun program called Living the Course with a co-facilitator. And we basically do the morning lesson every day with, um, we have about 200 members and we go live doing the lesson for the day. And then we have different tiers of the program. So year one is just the daily lessons. Year two students, we read the course text together every Monday night. And that's also live. So just such an amazing program. We just dive so deep into the text and we do some fun stuff like a, a retreat at the end of the year and some virtual events at the beginning of the year. So we have a, uh, a conscious creation workshop. We call it non-dual manifestation, which is sort of law of attraction taught through A Course in Miracles lens, mm-hmm. which will be on April 3rd, 12 p.m. Eastern time. That's our next one. Okay. Yes. Okay. So everyone check out Aaron. Watch out for the rabbit hole that you're going to go down. <laughs> a lot of rabbit holes on my YouTube channel. Be careful. Yes. Oh, believe me. Anyway, thank you. You're going to you, fall Aaron. into one of them probably. <laughs> Definitely. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Uncover Your Magic podcast today. If you are inspired by what you heard today, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, Please subscribe, rate, and review this show on your favorite podcast player. If you would like to connect with me with any questions, comments, or feedback, please contact me at the Uncover Your Magic website. Thank you so much for listening, and don't forget, always look for the magic.